We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Computer, this is Data. I'm an android. I'm basketball. I was processing all of the information. Processing. It's one of those idiots who believe in analytics. Rangers pick basketball. Analytics was crap. Does not compute. Just because you got good stats doesn't mean you're a good team. Everyone, welcome back to the Leakers Exceptionalism Podcast. I'm your host for today, Tim. You know me as Cranjus McBasketball on Twitter. And just spending some time today to, I guess, catch us up on, on what's been going on with the season. I'm not going to detail every game or every result, uh, but I have been tracking, oh my goodness, so much for these games, been re-watching these games. I feel like I have a, a pretty good grasp on at least what we've been seeing. And I want to point a couple things out just because... With the team one and five, I understand people are down. When they were 0 and five, people were even more down. If they win their next game, people will be excited again. If they lose, people will be disappointed. There's a lot of that day to day react to what happens. If we win, it's good. If we lose, it's bad. And I want to dig a bit deeper than that because there's a lot going against this team right now. Uh, <laughs> you know, primarily the schedule is is really tough. It makes their record worse than their play has been. Another element that's made things tougher for them is the fact that their three-point shooting, while not constructed to be a good three-point shooting team, and I have their their you know their expected three-point shooting percentage fourth, I think, from the bottom in the NBA. It's not like this is supposed to be a good shooting team, but they're not this bad. Like this, this team so far has shot like near ten percent below expected on the quality of shots they've been getting for the shooters they're getting the shots for. It's not just that I'm saying, hey, you know, they're getting open shots and average player would be shooting this. No, adjusting for who these players are, they're still massively underperforming what we'd expect from them. And that's bounced back a bit the last couple games. Obviously, in their win against Denver, they shot well from three on really high quality looks. But even in the game before that, and I think a little bit the game before that, like, they're not going to shoot horrific, you know, 22%, 20%, 15%, 25%. Those are ridiculous numbers. This team isn't that poor of a three-point shooting team. And the, the fact that they've had such poor shot making has, again, made them look worse than their play really has been. The Russell Westbrook-Portland 
sagging off him disaster that lost the team a game when they really should have won that game. That, to me, so far is the one win I expected them to have that currently they don't. I was thinking at this point they'd be 2-4 and four and they're 1-5. and five. So it's not like, I mean, again, they've only played six games, so there's not a whole ton of room to over or underperform. But this is about what we expected, or at least what I was expecting to this point. And I think they'll have a bounce back next four or five games. But um, what I will say about that loss to Portland, the team clearly learned from that and adjusted. So it was a hard lesson. It was a loss, but they've learned early. They learned fast. And it's not going to take... 10, 20, 30, 40 games to make some of these adjustments. And I'll, I'll get into that in a little bit. So other than that one loss, the win-loss record is about where I expected. And the process has just been getting better and better along the way. But I totally understand why that's harder to see. So, so certainly for me watching live, it was harder to see because the team's not winning. We're stressed out about that. The threes aren't falling. And when we do see portions of games where defenses are conceding, threes to Russ or to AD or, or someone that they're happy to take those threes that, you know, that stinks. And that has happened. It's not what's mostly happening, but it has happened a little bit. And when that's happening, and then also your good three point shooters aren't hitting their threes, then it just makes it seem like a bigger problem than it really is. It, it, this isn't a team that's getting a bunch of open threes just because the defense doesn't care. They're running good offense they're pressuring the rim, forcing the defense to rotate and take away dunks, take away layups, because that's what they're scheming up. And if the defense does take away the rim, they've you know designed kickout options to good shooters, and they're designing these plays such that there's no second defender coming over to rotate. There's no help coverage. So that sort of you know smart basketball is setting them up for these great plays. Troy Brown Jr. had one play early fourth quarter on a great set the Lakers ran kick out. I think from LeBron, AD was rolling. Trey Brown, Trey's, uh, Brown Jr.'s guy, you know, tagged AD because otherwise it was a lob. And that resulted in a wide, wide open corner three with zero defenders, even on his half of the court. Um, so if, if, you know, I guess thinking uh, taco more than, uh, or hot dog more than hamburger halves, but, uh, you know, that sort of stuff, that's good. Those are good plays. And I want to, you know, try to change your perspective a little bit if you're listening to this and you're down on the team. Because we've seen a lot of good things. We've also seen some bad stuff, but we've seen growth. And I want to point out the growth schematically. I'm pretty happy with what where we are now. I'll say not what we've seen, but where we are currently. Because what we have seen is the team install more than 100 unique set plays. I'm talking baseline out of bounds, sideline out of bounds, and then their half court sets. They've run a ton of different things. That's that's so many. That's too many, really, to be six games into the season. And I kind of preseason too. If you ignore preseason, they're only at like <laughs> 70 or 80 or something like that. So that's a lot. And if you've played on a football team, a basketball team, any of these teams where you're running set plays, it's hard to remember that many things. Um, now, there's certainly verbiage that you know helps you remember you know, who should be doing what or generally what's supposed to happen. But that's a lot to try to memorize and execute. And I think we've seen the results of that. We've seen the Lakers run a bunch of plays only once or twice and then be not so good at executing them. When these are things that we know these players can do. This isn't a, they're not talented enough to set a screen. They're not talented enough to get their timing right. Those are things that they should be able to do. 
and more practice, more reps will improve those. It's just really hard when timing is such a critical element of these plays and you're running them <laughs> once every three weeks. I mean, they haven't played three weeks, but like only once in six games. That's that's difficult. Um, I understand some of these are ATOs that you draw up during a timeout and weren't necessarily installed or practiced, but that's not most of these. So that's an element that was hurting the team a bit. I was excited to see plays and then they just kept going and going and going and adding more and more. And that's not really what I'm looking for. I, and, and I mean, we have a uh, X's and O's course later today, right after I do this, where we're going to walk through building a playbook and literally picking plays out and, and putting all of that together. And the numbers that I was thinking of, I would want for various formations uh, or alignments, I should say, and various series within those alignments aren't anywhere near what we've seen from the Lakers. So they've gone above and beyond, I think in a bad way with this. It's just too much too early, but we've seen them kind of rein it back in. We've seen them use fewer unique sets, run more of the same stuff. And as they're running more of the same stuff, they're being more and more effective with it. They're executing a bit better. And that's encouraging to me. They went from the first few games, just, you know, rarely reusing anything to in the fourth quarter against Denver, by the way, the highest usage of set plays in any quarter of any game this year, they just hammered their their wedge set and their rip punch sets. Um, the Lakers out of their four out one in, they will bring the corner player in to set a screen for a slot player to basically post up. Um, they kind of have like a diagonal screen, a rip screen, getting him getting AD to post up and then they run stuff out of that. But also from that same general setup, rather than the player coming off that screen running to the block, he can then run to set a, a ball screen at the wing in a, in a wedge action. Those two things either try to prevent hedging or attack hedging really well. And Denver was hedging. So the Lakers went right at it. In that same, gay, same, same game, they ran good sets to attack drop. They ran good sets to attack switching. They uh, covered the hedging. Like, they're doing smart stuff. This is We haven't seen the Lakers operate this way before. Um, their double drag play has become a staple for the offense uh, against any team that is hedging. And then they have options off of it. Not options in that, hey, in the middle of the play, try to figure out what's going on. But they have set like called options to run staggers off of it or veer action off of it or different things based on what is the defense in. And then which of these plays that starts looking, the, you know, starts off looking the same way for the first couple seconds, do we want to call that beats what they're running? So they've done a good job with that. It's gotten better and better over time. We're at the point where they have a bit more of a consolidated playbook, playbook, or at least they have the past couple games. They're no longer installing 15, 20 new plays every game. It's like three or five. And so that's easier for me to diagram and keep up with, but I think is also resulting in the team executing better. In prior years, another thing about this, when we get to the play calling, in prior years, when going when the going has gotten tough, we've seen the Lakers go away from sets and just play freelance basketball more often. This year, it's been the opposite. When the Lakers need points, they go to sets. Fourth quarter against Denver, kind of a must-win game, 0-5, uh, score tightening up a bit. We saw them run 13 sets in 15 plays. Just constant organized action. When you run sets, it doesn't mean you're not able to attack 1v1. The Lakers have been more effective posting up in their set plays than just, you know, go out there and, and freelance. They've been more effective in perimeter isolations in set plays than just out there freelancing. 
that's because when you're in those sets, you know where everyone's going to be and they're placed in ways that makes it harder for the defense to stop you. And often there's movement and cutting and screening that makes it even more difficult for the defense to try to guard that and then also guard you. Uh, and as long as, you know, knowing where those options are coming from and when they're coming makes it easier as a playmaker to make those reads. It's elevating the players in that way and we're seeing pretty good results. So, you know, whenever the three-point shooting isn't <laughs> horrendous uh, in like a shooting luck kind of way, we've seen the, the Lakers run some pretty good stuff recently. So that to me is encouraging. They've certainly had growth, which is nice. And we've reached a point where they're calling plays more often. We've seen the team run more help beaters, I've been calling them, where like you can post LeBron up and then have everyone stand still. And the defense might, you know, have players on the elbows and the blocks, or they might send a double team from the baseline or from the high side. If you're just standing around, that's not good. Um, with this team, what they've been doing instead is setting, sending like organized cuts or screening for each other, doing things that prevent or punish the help uh, from, from coming. Or if it does come, you know, they're getting points off of it. So that sort of stuff is elevating the Lakers' ability to play 1v1. And, I, you know, if I'm LeBron James or I'm AD or I'm Russ, I want that stuff happening when I'm going 1v1 because then the help defense help defense isn't coming. And I'm able to play, you know, in a true 1v1 rather than needing to beat five defenders or three defenders or two defenders. So this keeps getting better. Their last game against Denver, they ran the second uh, most help beaters of any game this year. The game prior, they were up there as well. They're running more set plays more often, and they're working. If we look at the effectiveness of the organized offense versus the freelance offense, it is much, much better looking at the shot profiles, the turnover rates. It is much better. If you look at one important thing is who is getting catch and shoot threes? Because we have heard about, hey, you know, they're letting Russ take these threes. They're letting AD take these threes. When the Lakers are in their organized offense, they're picking who the threes are going to. They're picking who's on ball. They're picking who's off ball. They're picking the, the cutters, the shooters, the ball handlers, the playmakers, the, all that stuff. When they're in their freelance, you're much more vulnerable if a defense is going to sag off of you or send extra help or you know try to be creative defensively. You're then on the defensive and reacting as the offensive team rather than dictating the terms of the possession. And as such, we've seen the Lakers in their freelance offense have a lot more threes from like AD and Russ when they're just out there playing ball. Whereas when they're organized, we're seeing threes from players who are better at shooting threes that we want more threes from. And to this point, you know, because of the shooting luck, it hasn't been as evident, but that's a great process sign. And I expect the results to follow over time. And we're already starting to see that. The other thing that is really important and a big part of Darvin Ham's job and something that was a question mark for us is the rotation. We've already seen some pretty quick uh, changes. We've seen Damian Jones's minutes get cut, and I think rightfully so. He hasn't been playing particularly well. We've seen Kendrick Nunn's minutes get cut, and I, his size is a piece of this. I think there's some anchoring bias going on with him. His defense against Clay Thompson in the first game as a chaser was certainly poor because um, he's small and Clay's very big. And that's not a, a good way to use his skill set. But in the past few games, his defense has been fine. His defense has been fine. I, I'm not super concerned about that. And offensively, he's looking more and more comfortable. His shots are falling more. His playmaking, his passing has been not good. I think that's where I have the most concern with him. But 
as a shooter off ball kind of guy, I like what he brings. And the reason I'm paying so much attention to him is because the version of him from Miami would be a great add to this team. This isn't me saying, hey, I hope he can grow into this player. No, the player he's been would be a great add to this team. That's a, in theory, a top two or three catch and shoot three-point shooter on this roster, which the Lakers need. Um, so the reason I'm not giving up on him, the reason I'm making sure I re- rewatch his minutes is because if he truly isn't panning out, that's a problem for the Lakers. But he's looking better and better, and he looked pretty good in preseason. So I, I don't think this is a, like, hey, he was injured and now just stinks kind of thing. Like, I, I think he just had a rough couple games, and things have been better than we might want to think over the past few games. Just don't anchor to the first time you see somebody, the first couple games. We've seen Austin Reeves' minutes go up, and rightfully so. I want to see them keep rising. We've seen Troy Brown Jr. go from being injured to immediately being a key contributor, playing a lot of minutes. We saw Russ come off the bench after the first few games and it not working out well. They're now staggering his minutes with LeBron's minutes as much as possible, and he's coming off the bench. And, I mean, that's an important tweak. All of these are important tweaks that... Last year, previous years with the last coaching staff, it was just difficult to see happen. Um, Frank Vogel wanted weeks of the same lineups to see if they work or not. When usually like within a game or two, like we understand if it's working or not. You don't need, you know, high volumes of statistical evidence to say this lineup isn't working from a like net rating or volume standpoint. Because you're always working with small samples there. You have to be able to make decisions within ambiguity. And I think we're seeing him be smarter about that. I wouldn't say the roster from day one was fully optimized, X's and O's or rotation, but it was day one. He's a new coach. It's a new roster. The fact that he's he's making the right adjustments, I think, is important. And moving forward, I want to see more of that. I want to see Reeves starting over Pat Beverly. Both of their minutes have trended in opposite directions, and I think that's probably the next move from my perspective. So keep an eye out for that. But I've liked what I've seen mostly from the rotation. I like what I've seen from the scheme. Uh, There are certainly individual players that are kind of winners and losers of various things, but just looking at Ham big picture for the team and team success, I think he's done a pretty darn good job so far. If the three-point shooting was more normal, the Lakers would have a couple extra wins right now, and the perception would be a bit different. So I don't want the process to get lost in the results. The process has been good. The results have been a little, you know, not where you want them to be, but schedule and shooting have been two key elements there that will improve. Next thing I want to talk about, let's talk about the Pacers. (laughs) Just a little quick Pacers update. This is a team that I've been watching more of when I am flipping around on League Pass, just to see how these guys are doing. Because Buddy Heald, shooting great, having a great season so far. He's shooting similar percentages on catch and shoot threes as he did last year, similar percentage on pull-up threes as he did last year. The big difference for him this year, and the reason his overall percentage is up, is because the percentage of his threes coming from catch and shoot attempts has gone up, which is exactly what we were talking about in uh, expecting, you know, him, if he were to come to the Lakers to see his shot profile change a bit. Hey, no more ISO threes, no more pick and roll threes, spot up threes, transition threes, off screen threes, handoff threes, like, you know, just flip it to you, stationary catch and shoot. Those are things he's good at. And he's doing the things he's good at more. (laughs) Um, If we look at, so we don't have our LeBron metric up at B-Ball Index, but Kevin Farragan put up his new impact metric and Buddy Heald graded out as the 20th, 25th highest offensive impact so far this season. He's shooting the lights out of the ball. He's being used in the way I was hoping the the Lakers would use him. 
And uh, it's it's good to see. Good for him. Miles Turner, <laughs> he wants to be a Laker. <laughs> so we'd heard rumblings behind the scenes. We'd seen Eric Pincus write about publicly how the Lakers felt good about being able to resign Turner if they traded for him. And then Turner just went right out and had an interview with Adrian Wojnarowski, pretty much talking just about that. So he seems interested. Uh, I'd be still interested. He and Heald are a seamless fit into what the Lakers are trying to do. Um, one thing about the Lakers offense I have enjoyed, but it's been, you know, the personnel just isn't where you want it to be, is the off-screen action they've used for shooters. Matt Ryan's been the primary guy, or they've used just non-movement shooters with this or non-off-screen shooters with this, but they have some good sets built in that occupy a lot of help defense and allow their stars to go 1v1. And with Matt Ryan, you lose so much defensively that in, in offensively he doesn't really do much other than just catch and shoot that he's a tougher fit. And we've seen that with the rotation. He's, he isn't someone that I think is going to get consistent minutes with this team. Heald can. Heald's better than him defensively. Heald can pass the ball. Heald can dribble a bit. Heald has some pick and roll game to him. Um, Heald is more than just a shooter. He's more of a basketball player. And we've seen that clearly with, with the Pacers since they traded for him and, and a little bit this year. So I see the two of them fitting in really well. Turner fits in with the Lakers wanting to play drop coverage. Um, I, I the, the fit's good, especially now that the Lakers are consolidating the playbook a bit. Uh, it'll be easier to learn 40 plays than 100 plays. Um, the Lakers, if they do trade for another big, they're better set up to defend, I think. You can't play four-guard lineups against a lot of teams and be successful. You might be able to do it against... The Warriors, you might be able to do it against Denver at times. There are a lot of teams that are going to have backup bigs that are going to be able to take advantage of the Lakers being so small. So the Lakers, the defense has been good so far, and I think it can be better if you add in a, another you know good center. Jones isn't someone they seem to trust. Brian is hurt, and he's someone that I, they're, they're realizing isn't the idealized version of him. Some thought he might be. AD's banged up. You need size and you need shooting. And this is the trade for both of those. Uh, Turner in that impact metric I mentioned earlier, fifth highest on defense this season. He's been playing well. Uh, he did not play well the his last game, which was immediately after he came out and, and had the interview. So that's some funny timing. But, you know, mostly for the season, he's been pretty good. All right. Another thing about this, if you were to, if you're not convinced... If you were to just replace Russell Westbrook's threes with Buddy Heald and the expected performance on those threes, the team's expected three-point percentage would jump up to be over 36%. That's like, it, it don't, you know, don't worry about the defense. You know, like with, with Turner, you get better defense. With better shooting, you're going to get, you know, better shots at the rim and all that. If we only change the Lakers' three-point percentage this season and move it to 36 and change nothing else, they have a top six net rating. Add those other benefits in, the defensive boost, Turner's three-point shooting, the, the ability of from the spacing the floor to open up the two-point game. This is a top five team when healthy. Or at least they've been the way they've been playing plus the shooting is. So that to me is interesting. That to me makes me feel bit, a bit better about what they could be. Because they're doing a pretty good job defensively, results-wise. Offensively, I think the process is there. I think these moves help directly address their two weaknesses of shooting and size. So we'll see if the Lakers revisit. A lot of people think they will, but 
so far, at least from a player performance standpoint and how the scheme has panned out, I am still where I was previously. So now let's look ahead for this last segment here. But before we do, let's take a quick break for a word from our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Okay, we're back. Let's take a look at the schedule. The Lakers' schedule so far has been the sixth hardest in the NBA. For the rest of the season, it is the ninth easiest. Uh, This is using Positive Residuals' shiny app that's free. You can go check it out. They've got great stuff on there. They account for the quality of the teams being played, the altitude of the games, home versus away, the travel, all of that good stuff. If we look at the Lakers' schedule this upcoming month in November, I'm recording this on November 1st, they have the easiest schedule of any team in the NBA. And then in December, they have the hardest schedule of any team in the NBA. So really for the, for the next week, I expect the Lakers to have some tough games. The immediate next couple games are, are tough. The Pelicans are tough. The Cavs are hard. The Clippers are hard, although they're having their own injury issues. Utah isn't going to be an easy one on the road. But then you get the Kings, the Nets, the Pistons, the Spurs three times, the Pacers, Portland. Those all grayed out as favorable games for the Lakers. And then they have one game against Phoenix on the road in the middle of all that. But they have, you know, if you survive this next week, they have a nice stretch where they can really get on a roll, assuming they're healthy and the scheme stays strong. If I'm looking at trade timelines, a date that really stands out to me looking at their schedule on a calendar is... November 13th. It's 13 games into the season. You've had some time to evaluate the roster. You've had some time to evaluate or other teams to evaluate their rosters. The Lakers have four days off right before they play six really easy games out of seven or six favorable games out of seven. I don't know what's easy for this team these days, but they should be six easy games out of seven. The Lakers won't have four days off again until the All-Star break. So that's too late in the year. If you're going to make a trade, then you're probably not in a good spot in the standings already. And that's a late time to integrate the new pieces. That's going to be tough. 
if you were to try to make a trade, it would be beneficial to have time off to get the guys in, you know, have a practice or two, get them integrated, have them learn the playbook. You know, you trade for someone today, they have to play tomorrow. It's going to be really difficult for them to play at their best. If you start a new job, you have to get acclimated. And with these games happening every couple games, every couple days, it, you need to get acclimated quickly. So four days off is a nice, it's the nicest break they're going to get for months. Um, the Pacers also happen to have three days off in a row, which is their largest break until the All-Star break. So a trade for both teams just schedule-wise around November 13th makes a whole lot of sense. So that's something to keep an eye out for. It's not too far from now. It's not 20, 25 games into the season. But if you make that trade then, you have time off. Then you have some easy games to bring the guys in and try to still keep winning. And then you, you know, ideally have a new roster that's up to speed, that is ready to go, understands the playbook, is a cohesive team or, you know, somewhat close to it going into December when you do need to have the toughest schedule in the NBA. I think if the Lakers don't make a move, December is going to be a really tough month for them. And I don't think they're going to get to the trade deadline being a team that wants to be buying. Every, you know, every game they're playing with this group rather than a better group is, you know, losses you're, you're taking away from the standings. So if you want to be a play-in team versus not making the playoffs, or if you want to avoid the play-in, um, you need to make moves more quickly, assuming, again, this is all assuming they're good moves and you're a better team. But that is a factor that I hadn't really thought about before, that just that timeline looking at the calendar. So that's a little roundup on the schedule. Taking a look at the Pacers guys, talking scheme, talking rotation. I'll be back with Tom soon to talk more through specific games and specific players. But, you know, from a coaching standpoint, from a potential trade standpoint, I think that's where things sit. I'm still feeling decent about the team. I know it's bad. I'm not immediately thinking they're going to like go out and beat the Pelicans and the Cavs and all these teams, but they're getting better. The process is there. And I think they're, uh, you know, they're getting to a better spot. Keep your, keep your heads up and let's go Lakers. We'll see you next time. That has been all for the Lakers Exceptionalism Podcast. If you want to keep the conversation going, join our Discord. Get in those X's and O's courses, see the bonus pods, get the extra content. You can do so by checking out the link in my bio on Twitter. I'm at Tim underscore MBA on Twitter. Um, you can also DM me, Tom, or the Lakers Exceptionalism uh, Twitter account which is not run by me. I think Tom and Johnny have access to that. Uh, DM them a five-star review of the podcast and we will get you into the group. And once you're in the group, there are a bunch of various levels you can go to. There's, you know, great stuff just for free. Um, but then there are, you know, it's just an onion. You peel back layer by layer. There's more and more cool stuff. So I want to shout out quickly some of the folks who are in those neat groups. Uh, TJ Timotaji for generously supporting the pod as an arena sponsor as well as to Zach Harris, Daddio, iPod Shuffle, Romario, Chamber, Miguel, T. Shuttleworth, Omar, Roy, Abdulrahman, Keneal Mason, uh, all of them for living the high life with us in the owner's box. And I believe I'm missing someone because we did just have some more join as well. I'll, I'll get your names in there for next time. But then also want to shout out the Courtside and Lower Bowl crews who support what we do here. Um, really keeps us going. Again, if you want to get in on the action, check out the link in my bio, DMs five-star review of the pod, or if you go to tinyurl.com slash support Lakers X pod, you'll be able to get through from there as well. So that's all I have. Have a great day, everyone. We'll, we'll see you next time.